aligning our incentives as an organization around that complete value chain of like dirt in the soil, the connections there to the human connections between people as they consume their food. Hi there, food enthusiasts. My name is Chris Strachkowski, your host today for the Future Foodcast, where we talk with the thought leaders in today's food industry and discuss the trends and technology that will shape the future of food. Today, I'm very happy to be speaking with two guests, Louis Brown and Tim Lipp, who are the general manager and infrastructure manager of YYC Growers, which is a very interesting company here in Calgary um, in Canada. And uh, welcome to the program today. Thanks for having us. Exciting to be on, Chris. Well, um, as uh, we just discussed a little bit before, I'm usually interviewing one person. I'm really happy to be interviewing both of you today. Uh, and maybe you both can give a little bit of background on kind of what were you doing before YYC Growers and kind of what brought you to this point. Maybe, Tim, we can get started with you and then go to, to Louis. Yeah, my background is started out in uh, technology. I've always been working with technology since being online schooled as a kid. Um, then I went and lived abroad working with minority language communities, and that kind of gave me a passion for decentralized work and the impact that that, that can have. Came back, studied business, a couple other things, and joined the team at YRC Growers really with a focus on the infrastructure, mostly digital infrastructure that could help enable their mandate to be both more efficient and effective, but also more decentralized and reflective of the rest of the way that makes this business unique. Excellent. Thanks, Tim. Louis, how about you? Yeah, uh, my background, I actually grew up in Australia um, and then via the UK for a while ended up in Canada. My career experience actually started in more in the in the banking world, um, investment banking and private equity type of things. And then I actually came across and was working more in um, what, what you'd probably call big ag, <laughs> a couple of large publicly traded companies uh, on the corporate finance and uh, investor relations side of things. And I came to a bit of a transition point and I really have a lot of passion for food. I'm a, I'm a passionate hunter and that has really kind of got me thinking a lot about uh, actually food procurement cycles and where things actually come from. And I was a customer of YWC Growers uh, and loved the food, loved the service, loved the connection with the growers. Um, and I was at a bit of a transition point and an opportunity came up there where they were in a bit of need and I stepped in and one thing led to another. and. Yeah, now really kind of stewarding the team and, and in kind of a leadership role. Excellent. One of the things I've found really exciting about these podcasts, we're talking to thought leaders from really around the world, but a lot of the people we talk to are entrepreneurs out there starting businesses or like yourself, maybe stepping into early businesses. One of the things that's exciting about that is that people are finding their passions and they're coming into the food space that they love but they're bringing a whole lot of pretty interesting baggage with them that's very useful, business baggage, technology baggage, that is really helping to, it seems like, accelerate this decentralized and growing system of food, sort of supply, production, and consumption that we're all experiencing now. So that's all, I think we're gonna talk a lot more about some of these things that we all just mentioned, but maybe, Louis, tell us more about what does YYC Growers do? Yeah, I mean, at its essence, we connect farmers with local customers. So 
Uh, our purpose statement is to connect farmers with eaters by gathering and distributing nutrient-dense food. And then there's an aspect of um, regenerating the environment and the community and the local economy. So it, it's, it's a system that I'm really excited about because it just has so many benefits. If, if you purely focus on the environmental aspect, we're very motivated to support regenerative agriculture and support farmers who are pursuing that, that way of improving the environment with, with their agricultural practices and then also just limiting uh, food supply chains and food miles for those indoor, indoor um, farmers that we support as well. From the community perspective, it's really connecting people. You know, this urban-rural divide, I think, is something that's popping up in a lot of places around the world and really getting people reconnected with who actually grew their food and the people behind it. And then even from a local economic perspective, just actually knowing that your dollar is recirculating within your local economy and local community i think creates a huge amount of resilience in that food system so the way we do that is the primary product is a subscription to a harvest box which is a weekly basket of, of veggies and then we distributed them through local businesses in the calgary area and then our uh, we also have a pretty thriving online marketplace where people can just purchase ad hoc products and then they're distributed through that same network of local businesses and we draw on supply from uh, around about a 200 kilometer radius of Calgary on the vegetables, vegetable and meat side. And then we do have a direct connection with a BC fruit provider. So hyper-local, very focused on uh, chemical-free, well-grown food, I guess. that I, I don't, We don't cling to an organic or try not to label it so much because I think there's a lot more nuance in the in the food world than just, just one kind of shiny sticker, uh, but really work with growers to enhance their practices. Uh, and are now um, maybe dive into this later. We're now even uh, starting to quantify some of those soil impacts with some uh, soil database and um, different things there. So yeah, hopefully that's a quick overview. Yeah, of great introduction. You're essentially you're, if you will, shortening the supply chain and having cons consumers, let's say myself, who wants to eat some vegetables, essentially being able to connect directly with the farmer who produced those vegetables without a grocery store in the middle, essentially like an online farmer's market, so to speak, where you're, you're the short connection between the, the farmers and the consumer. Is that fair to say? That's very fair to say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And with hopefully with a huge amount of transparency and, and human connection there. Yeah. This is exciting because I feel like we're seeing a lot of interest, as you said, also people wanting to know where their food came from, um, wanting to know more about it than just the quality of it, even though that's, you know, taste, quality and cost certainly are the primary interest. But, you know, people are, you know, did it come from my area? Um, how is it farmed? Um, is, you know, is there sustainability somehow baked into what I'm consuming? I think this is very much a, these are decision points that a certain profile of the, uh, it tends to be generational uh, of buyers are looking at. and. It's just launching new businesses all over the place. And, and yours is, I feel like, a premier example of that shift in the consumer society on food purchasing trends. What kind of feedback do you get from your customers in terms of why are they using YYC growers? I think most of our customers are on the more thoughtful end of the of the customer continuum. You know, I, I always like to think of it as this little gateway drug. If, you, if we could get every person to just ask one really simple question. What did, where did this piece of food come from? That will start a curiosity loop in their brain that will hopefully lead them to us eventually. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but I think that that is really the starting point that a, that a lot of our customers come from. And that's something that they really value is they can trust that their food comes from where it says it comes from. There's no 
question or concern around what hidden chemicals or you know surprises might be in terms of how it was grown or where it was grown and uh, they come to know that the the quality and the flavor and the nutritional density of that food is really great for them as well so i think those are some of the key things and then people do feel good about being part of this and i think it's something that gives people some hope we're surrounded by barrage of pretty overwhelming at times negative you know climate pandemic economic environmental issues and i think being able to take a small part of your consumption and turn it towards something that's actually doing good is while feeding yourself the best food that you can really get is uh is a great thing i think it's a really hopeful thing so that's that's something that i think people really value out of our service yeah underline it there are there's a lot of really complex challenges facing society right now. and one of the struggles we I think we face is we have really conventional paradigms haven't gotten us to solutions and we're trying to leverage some of the kind of inherent abundance that's in the soil to question those paradigms and using food as a way to do that. Mm-hmm. So food can become part of a much bigger conversation on how we even think about our institutions within society. Yeah, and this really leads us I think to a, maybe a very very interesting discussion about the concept of decentralization and Tell us more about what that means to your company and then maybe we can also after kind of thinking let's say more about the philosophical side of this we'll talk more about the technical side and how this is actually implemented and what you're building out as you grow your company but decentralization what does that what does that mean to you as a business as business leaders and for your customers I think a great metaphor is is the soil the ultimate decentralized system is a functioning ecosystem and i think that's what we are striving our farmers are striving to do is create a, a healthy and balanced microbiome that contains a lot of diversity uh within the soil less eloquent on some of these things but we have some great people in our organization some of the founders who are still very influential in in the business who can really do a fantastic job of linking the value of each little microbe in the soil has its own kind of job and when they actually work together they create a cascading volume of effects and i think what we're trying to do with this business is create a very human centric decentralized system that actually works together where everyone can bring their expertise and they're not or uh their passions and they're not constrained by a kind of a hierarchical system um and it and then even in the way in which we design the returns we're really trying to create this kind of shared prosperity model not just a sort of pyramid scheme mm-hmm. but but I'd love Tim's perspective on this cuz he uh he can bring some of the, the tools to make some of that happen there was a lot of difficulty because so much of the current food system was designed for administrative efficiency rather than let's say the underlying chemical or decentralized efficiency that exists within nature and um there's a host of philosophical reasons for why that is the way it is but i think one of the part of the exciting piece is really untangling those systems untangling that complexity with enabling what i like to call multi-scale logistics frameworks so it's not just about optimizing our logistics system so that we can get from this one massive farm to this one massive grocery store but how do we build a system that is robust resilient enough to handle one medium-sized farm three small farms five urban farms together to feed 100 different families mm-hmm. that's really the exciting piece of what we get to figure out on a day-to-day infrastructure level and then putting in place the technology to really enable that Yeah, you mentioned logistics and that's a little bit of talking about this it brings 
out that point, well, yeah, if you're dealing with all these different size organizations, logistics can be more of a problem. Is this, is logistics something that YYC Growers looks to solve for itself, or is it looking to, for other logistics companies to essentially plug into the ecosystem that you're creating? I mean, right now, I, I consider our current YYC, the Calgary hub really is a prototype. So right now at this scale, we're doing our logistics in-house and everything is kind of done internally. But I certainly see that in the bigger picture, hardcore logistics is not necessarily our competitive advantage or value add. You know, I think creating that platform that allows the connections to happen. And if logistics at some point becomes a bottleneck that can be solved um, by collaborating with someone else or others who are really logistics experts, I think that's where the value of our ecosystem will, will be tested and proven when, as, as we kind of get to a bigger scale. But right now, that's, that's something that, that we do ourselves. Yeah. So it sounds like well, you're creating a platform around which an ecosystem can form. You have the growers who are producing food products. And okay, we've got all sorts of things to talk about on how consumers come into the ecosystem and in the, in the media channels there. But then the logistics side, from your point of view, that would be a plug-in. And I, I guess I, I see there's a gap to fill here probably for, in other words, the uh, an Uber of logistics here. And, and I've even heard of some companies that are coming up trying to do this because the demand that companies like YYZ Growers are creating. Have you seen these types of companies you know, maybe courting you for their business? We have a little, yeah. I wouldn't say that we've necessarily been the, the primary target just yet. We, we did, we were running our own home delivery solution and we were um, courted by a few local logistics and kind of solution providers there and have gone, we've now outsourced that. So I think maybe that's the way things could go. But there is a huge amount of touch. And this is where the challenge of truly platformizing this business where we, we remove ourselves completely from the equation is, is that we, we still need that physical quality control touch. We're still physically handling a delicate, um, perishable product. So there still, still needs to be quite a high level of engagement with that logistics and can't just fully step aside and, and let it, you know, be kind of drop shipped type of type of model because there there's a lot of you know we get we get all of these growers we put together these design these boxes each week and then we have them all arriving we've got produce from different farmers and then it's all being re-sliced and re-diced and repackaged and, mm -hmm. and sent out to people at at you know 20 different pickup locations and two different home delivery routes so there's quite a lot of kind of reorganizing that happens there but i think mm -hmm. it, you know i think certainly what I see there being in terms of the, the scaling of the platform and where the logistics, you know, optimization could come in is that we, we might see hubs popping up. So right now I would consider us to be the Calgary bubble and that's kind of the prototype. You know, if there's a point at which this works well enough that there might be another hub pop up somewhere else and whether that's even within Calgary or, you know, Red Deer Edmonton or Saskatoon, who knows, you know, somewhere, somewhere else, I think there would still need to be a logistics platform that operates there that plugs into mm -hmm. the, the bigger ecosystem. Yeah, this may be a, a short discussion or a long one, but I'm, I'm curious for your company um, on the technology side, you know, there is a, call it an IT platform that is growing up and, and probably needs to grow further. Is this something that you're looking to develop yourself or is this kind of another area where you know, other company, other IT companies have an opportunity to work with you to help build platform. Definitely here to work with other companies to help build platform. Uh, mm -hmm. I think tech is very much a team sport because there is a high level of complexity. And so we're recording a couple different uh, low code tools, a couple different ways to try to minimize the amount of dev time we spend doing something that has been done before. 
Well, I think this is also maybe a great example of this decentralization, um, which of course not really a new concept in terms of outsourcing a particular piece of work that is not core to a company, but in terms of thinking of that more as a partnership versus, you know, I'm hiring a consultant or I'm I'm hiring a service provider. So that's great. And hopefully the, the companies that are watching, you know, they'll, they'll be reaching out to you to uh, maybe be providing some support. But I, I know, you know, from our previous discussions that both of you and maybe others in your company are, again, really interested and really running the business based on these concepts of decentralized systems, decentralized society, in fact. Um, and I mean, we put on our super nerd hats and, and, and talk about what does that mean for your business? You know, for example, tell us what your business structure looks like. And do you, for ex example, maybe foresee a day when YYC Growers is a DAO or a decentralized autonomous organization? Or where are you going with the, the organization of your company? I think we're going there, <laughs> eventually. I do see that day, Chris, yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting right now. So the, the history of the organization was it was originally founded as a society by a couple of urban farmers in Calgary who realized that they were not really able to sustain their businesses by themselves and they were kind of in competition and they didn't have a great path to their customers. So they banded together and started selling their produce directly to customers. And then they realized that there was a bit of demand and they needed to partner with some bigger urban farmers to smooth out the gaps in their production. And then they became a cooperative. So from its core, there is a decentralized or distributed um, ideal, I guess. Um, and at the time it was kind of personified through the, or codified, I should say, through the uh, cooperative structure. And since then we've really transitioned to a staff run organization. And within that we're operating under the the kind of teal ecosystem, I guess, for those in the ways of working world who maybe you've heard of that, but basically that very distributed leadership. Everyone is the boss of their own job. There's not kind of a hierarchical structure and everyone is empowered to make decisions around their job, around their work, provided they use kind of an advice process, which mm -hmm. uh, it draws on similar ideals like holacracy or other uh, distributed leadership models for um, organizations. And the the basic premise is that everyone continues to be empowered um, to grow in ways that they want to grow, to show, show up to work as a whole human self and evolve as that human and, and not just have this kind of professional persona. You, you know, you come in as a as a person and then you may energize certain roles. You're not a role, you know, you're not a robot. The conventional mm -hmm. model is to come in and say, you know, we're hiring this role. You are XYZ title. That's your value to this business don't step outside of the navigational <laughs> boundaries. Uh, whereas whereas our model is, or the Teal model is very much more around truly valuing each other as people first, and then um, finding the roles that fit best with those people's strengths and giving everyone autonomy so they can eventually have, um, you know, accountability for their roles and, and mastery of those roles as well. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah, this is um, some of these ambitions, they've certainly been out there for a few decades. I think it's becoming more clear in this world of decentralized organizations of you know what that needs to mean for these organizations today. So really, again, I feel like you're really leading the charge, if you will, of companies that are really trying to get out there and follow this decentralized model. And in fact, who knows, you could be the first food DAO in the world or food focused DAO in the world. We just have to find a, a structure for that here in Canada that works. <laughs> We're trying to you know replicate that we have this awareness of the decentralization of 
at the ground or grassroots level in you know in the farming trying to spread out and use as tim mentioned multiple size producers and then really at the human element really embody this decentralized kind of ideal and now we're really just trying to focus on getting the legal and organizational structure to actually reflect that but i think because we have the under the base pieces in in place i think that will work well and i think it might be awkward to just impose a, a DAO type of structure onto a very uh, hierarchical yeah. human element yeah and uh, we use a tool called Sobel, which is in many ways designed specifically for DAOs to organize ourselves and we're increasingly using them more and more for our project management as well which will feed it to kind of a cascade of momentum around this DAO-like structure. And then eventually the government institutions will catch up so we can actually make it legal and formally go to five. Yeah, I was going to say, the good news is you can't actually do that today, even if you wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> and the bad, that's also the bad news, but uh, it's, it's moving in that direction. So again, amazing. You're, you're taking all these steps forward at, down this road of decentralization and it's easy to see, or at least for me, it's easy to see how the suppliers fit into this marketplace. How are you reaching out to the consumer side and allowing them to enter the market space and essentially look around? Yeah, so from a very practical perspective, we run on a e-commerce platform, which is basically like an online farmer's market. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, connecting with people through conventional, you know, social media and um, kind of email channels but also really trying to be present in the community um you know attending markets and events um we our actual pickup locations are mostly held within other local businesses hosted within other local businesses so there's kind of a an actual neighbors meeting neighbors and word of mouth aspect there so i think that's our kind of key avenues to to actually connect with people mm -hmm. i'm curious from the consumer point of view and on two sides i have some curiosity here and how they're looking back or trying to reach back to suppliers to understand where their food is coming from, since that's a, a key, let's say, key benefit of using this ecosystem. On two sides, do you find this to be a good marketing lever to attract people into your platform, into your business? And two, what have you seen from consumers and their interests and what do they want to know about where their food's coming from? How is this a marketing lever for um, YYC growers? Well, if people follow our social media, they can see specific stories of that coming out. But I know recently we had a post where one of our team members started speaking about the science that goes into how we understand the productivity of, the, of our soils. And that was one of our most interacted with, most engaged with posts on social media. So there's definitely appetite from our consumer base on understanding this and uh, connecting directly to that scientific piece, but then also realizing how that scientific piece ends up on their plate. And we, we have hosted actual farm tours. We did a great fun one last fall where we actually did a bike tour around a variety of urban farms in Calgary. And people were actually were saying, well, here's, here's the plot where your food was grown this, this summer. And I think customers really uh, getting those hands-on actual visceral connections and meeting the actual farmers we did a we followed up with an urban tour as well and we have a have a weekly or bi-weekly education or engagement session where people can come on and we've had um, almost all of our different farmers at one point or another come and host a conversation directly with with our customers and allow them to talk directly um, now um, soil specialists and dietitians and other things so we do try to really add a engagement and education element uh, that they might not get from a 
a grocery store. Your consumers, your your customers, or at least the consuming customers, what they're getting at the end of the day is, I guess the term is a harvest box. That's the product that you're selling. And as part of that box, let's say they get some carrots and potatoes and apples. Um, do they get to know where those carrots, potatoes, and apples are coming from with that box? If so, how is it, how are they doing that? Absolutely, yeah. Everything that we sell is attributed to a very specific farm. So if you, look, if you were to go and shop our store right now, you would see all of these items listed and then right beside it, it would say the farm that they came from. And then, so customers may get their harvest box, which is a pre kind of out curated box for them based on what's seasonally uh, the best available. And they would get a list and say, okay, this week you're going to get an email and they'll say this week you're getting carrots from Eagle Creek and tomatoes from Shirley's Greenhouse and microgreens from Micro YYC and mushrooms from Penny Buns. So they'll all be directly attributed. And then at the pickup point, the uh, the list of what they're getting says, you know, what they get plus who grew it right, right there. Does, does this also provide an opportunity for the growers to essentially market themselves to the buyers directly? And, and if somebody likes the greens that, you know, they kind of reach out because there's some feedback mechanism between the ultimate consumer and that producer? Um, we, in terms of sales, tend to drive it through our platform generally, although mm -hmm. there, some of them do have their own um, direct sales as well. We do have a lot of questions back and forth that we will direct. So people people who have a question, we'll get them on the phone directly with a farmer if they were you know, wanting to know about how a particular aspect of, you know, growing microgreens in soil versus water or, mm -hmm. um, you know, whatever the question might be, um, we're, we've often connected people directly and said, well, here's the farmer's phone number and we'll set up a call for you. Excellent. So in, there was a comment earlier um, in, in talking about, you know, there's all sorts of sub-labels that get put on products these days, whether, you know, let's say you're at a restaurant and it's vegan or vegetarian or organic, these types of things. And to your point, some of these labels, you know, maybe have a questionable background. We don't necessarily need to pick on them, but um, there is an opportunity, it seems like through what you're doing for a consumer to better know that, okay, this farm, you know, does or doesn't use these chemicals. Forget about if it's organic certified or but is there, do you foresee a time when maybe the actual reporting from a farmer is maybe more important than sort of a government label that's put on products? I, yeah, I, I wish and hope and look forward to that time. And I think what we're doing right now in actually quantifying the soil data of each of our farms is a fantastic first step in, in actually understanding, you know, that having a, a transparent database and we intend to make that publicly available hmm. is the real actual information um, and we, we have gone through and we're trying to create some growing standards for our, our farmers so we are really working on trying to create more and more transparency and detail and nuance um, so that if, if someone is interested and has a very particular question around how, how food is being grown that they can truly get the answers from us not just Say, well it's organic therefore it's fine and you know there's again not to pick on any particular label because many of our farmers are organic um, but you know sometimes i would say that our uh, our growers are, are better than organic but don't have that label you know there's mm -hmm. organics often rely on a lot of ground disturbance which is you know not not necessarily as beneficial as as no-till type of practices for um soil biology so yeah i think i think again it's just a case of a lot more nuance than just a label and I think our efforts to continue to actually build that 
data and make it available for people uh, in a very transparent way is, is a key part of that. Interesting. So the particular growers that you're working with, that you're working to bring onto the platform, you know, it, it sounds like they tend to be forward thinking, um, thinking about sustainability. Um, do you see them trending more, just more naturally away from using certain chemicals or even all chemicals? And if so, I'm curious, you know, what's the real feed feedback on how does that impact their production per unit of land area? Because there's a whole lot of both propaganda, research papers and anecdotes out there. And sometimes all those things cross over together. <laughs> but what, what's your feeling from what's actually happening with growers that are moving in this direction of using less or no chemicals? I mean, I think the first thing I'd say is it's incredibly exciting for us when we can demonstrate the market demand, say to a grower, you know, and we have had this situation where we've had conventional growers who have gone through their list of crops and said, okay, these things are completely chemical free. These crops I use as a spray. And I said, well, if you, if you would not spray those, we would buy them from you till the cows come home. And being able to actually have demonstrate that market demand for, for a certain way of growing, I think is really exciting. And I'm someone that believes in market-based solutions. So that that's a really uh, exciting place to be able to actually, again, empower those customers to say, we're creating this demand for food to be grown in a particular way. Um, mm. And then actually demonstrate that through to the farmers. And then in terms of your direct question around, you know, efficiency returns. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm the, most qualified to, to answer that because I think anecdotally our farmers are certainly seeing better long-term results by really taking care of their uh, their soil and giving back and seeing that the more that they regenerate their ecosystem the, the better and better it, it provides for them in terms of um, you know their production but again that's more of an anecdote than, a, than necessarily a paper but I, but I think it, it's safe to say that our growers are, are economic or living proof that um, sure. it can work. <laughs> yeah, so and I'm curious, you mentioned earlier that some of the, sounds like the newer work that you're doing, essentially services for your customers are um, soil samples and soil productivity, I guess, assessment. Um, do those, does that type of testing have indication on um, what types of chemicals might be there? Or are you looking more at the, I don't know, how's it, the biological activity in the soil? Conventional testing is really just, um, you know, kind of NPK, micronutrients, and then um, physical properties. Whereas this testing that we've had done is a lot more around, more on the micronutrient side, and then also the soil biology side, which is, and, and the carbon content. So Tim, I don't know if you, have you been in that database? I've been in it a little bit, and I think it definitely has. So there's the kind of more simil, simple chemical evaluations that are done a little bit more complexity with biological ones. And then as we continue to evolve the model, we'll incorporate more time series data on how those two tie together to create higher nutrient yields for our end consumers. Mm -hmm. And that's really the value that we are bringing to the market system as a whole is aligning our incentives as an organization around that complete value chain of like, dirt in the soil, the connections there to um, the human connections between people as they consume their food. And by combining our infrastructure to be developed around that whole incentive chain is where you see a lot of the bigger ecosystem impact 
paths and improvements for society. Yeah. I, I could envision that, you know, one of the services that could be provided either by YYC growers or even a third party that's, you know, connected with you, essentially a testing service that, and they provide digital certificates saying, hey, I tested this piece of land and here's the result. And it's you, through your aggregation, you can associate that with whatever products came off of there, but essentially a an agnostic testing service that's really just out there working to get paid to do testing and not, you know, not some big chemical company behind it. Yeah, I mean, I can, the, the imagination can run wild around, you know, blockchain enabled kind of, you know, information going right through to the customer back to the farm. I mean, I think you could envisage bonus compensation based on environmental outcomes, based on third party verified testing. I think there's a lot of excitement if we if we actually internalize the environmental outcomes. You know, I think the conventional food system for so long has actually externalized environmental and social costs. And that, you know, mm -hmm. if you if you farm in the in the cheapest that maybe but maybe environmentally um, degenerative and kind of exploitive of the people working their way and then have a big supply chain where most of the value is captured and then it ends up in the in the supermarket. I mean I think that's resulted in, you know, we've seen twenty between a twenty five and fifty percent reduction in nutrient density in vegetables since the nineteen seventies and and mm -hmm. You know that combined with those externalized costs what if we could um you know actually reframe that and you know testing on the product side like bionutrient testing and nutrient density testing reward growers who are producing nutrient dense food re reward growers who are uh, actually achieving environmental mm -hmm. improvement in their soil and giving customers the ability to choose based not just on weight and appearance, which is kind of the grocery store model, but nutrient density or soil biological activity where it mm -hmm. was grown. But I mean, I think yeah. those are some blue sky. Frankly, it's all very possible today and it's all very realizable. Um, you know, sprinkling a bit of technology on top of what you're doing. Of course, the concept of decentralization and that of blockchain are essentially kind of the same concepts for, for those that aren't as nerdy as us out there. Um, but it sounds like your platform could very easily be one where a consumer could purchase a product and maybe even reward a grower sort of asynchronously, if you will, directly by saying, yeah, this was a great product. And one, here's your social media pip that I'm putting out there. And by the way, here's an extra $2 because I like you so much. Thank you for actually doing what you're doing. Um, and I, by the way, I believe you because YWC Growers also provides me this really cool certificate that whole ecosystem could develop. Is that something that you imagine that, you know, might be in the future of YYC Growers? I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, <laughs> a, that would be wonderful. I mean, I think again, that's, that's creating those connections and, and the technology, this is the exciting time where this combination of kind of human centric ideas can be actually facilitated on a ungeographically constrained basis with the advent of some of this technologically embedded trust mechanism. I see you have two platforms here, potentially. You actually have this platform of connected humans, which we call business owners and suppliers, consumers, etc. But then you have the technology platform that's interfacing with that human network. And frankly, the more capable that technology platform is, the more value that these humans and a decentralized marketplace can realize versus a central system where grocery chain X gets everything. And I love going to grocery stores. I think they're going to be, you know, they're around forever, but I could see them also somehow participating in this network as well. 
if they had a platform such as the one you're building to make it easy for them to provide local produce. And then the other network also on top of that is the soil network itself, which is right. perhaps underneath it all. Yeah, there's there's those kind of like three tiers of activity and consumption that constantly need to be tied together. And that's just part of what the evolution of a complex system of our society looks like, is better finding those connection points and connection nodes that align with the optimization of each individual level. If we were to look forward a year, you know, maybe some companies I might say two, three, four years, but things are changing so quickly and positively for your situation. If we look forward a year, what, what new things do you think we can expect from YYC growers? Well, I'd love to have um, a, uh, at least a version of our uh, technology, a new technology platform operating, which I think will really uh, reduce the barriers to entry for, for new customers and make that a much more seamless experience. I mean, I think, you know, just to continue what we've just been chatting about is, is having that soil database you know, we've established our baseline year. And we're going to be doing some foliar testing in the spring. So starting to actually have some of that data available. Where that will get interesting is in the subsequent years when we can see the difference over time. But even as a baseline, uh, I think that's going to be really interesting. And maybe we'll do some, you know, conventionally produced food comparisons um, just just for kind of interest there. Um, but certainly, so the, the technology um, up and running in, in some form, you know, version something one point something <laughs> uh, uh, and then i mean i think you know we talked about calgary as our prototype but i would love to see this we're a city of a million and a half people and we're serving around 500 or so customers a week right now and i would love to see that kind of you know doubled and within our existing uh, physical infrastructure we could we could do that so um that would be that would be fantastic just to connect with twice as many people in in Calgary and then be, you know, really focused on the third point would be the, the business model. And we haven't talked too much about that, but really trying to create a actual legal structure that both economically shares rewards with our key stakeholders, which is the farmers, the staff uh, and the customers, and then also on a governance perspective and shareholders, I should say, if we have investors, but, uh, and then on the governance perspective as well, actually including those voices in a, in a way that uh, is really healthy. And I mean, that's, that's kind of leaning towards the Dow <laughs> idea. I guess yeah. in the long run. We're going to have to do part two of this podcast probably in about three or four months to so <laughs> come back and hear what you're talking about. But before we kind of depart from this episode, um, you mentioned a word that really just people don't even aren't even aware that it could be part of their business and maybe even should be part of their business. And that word is governance. And maybe kind of in simple terms, explain to our audience here, what does the concept of governance mean for your business and your customers and participants in your ecosystem? So it's it's more aspirational for us right now because we're still trapped in the fairly archaic <laughs> uh, cooperative model right now. But the way we would like to see our new model um, set up, and I think this is where the decentralization really comes in, is allowing each of the stakeholders to have true voice in, in decision-making. Um, and I think that's where even within our staff level, you know, everyone is very much empowered to have decision-making authority and there's not a kind of a hierarchical uh, top-down approach to those decisions. So giving people who are engaged and have stake in the business, whether that's from a, a grower or they've contributed time and expertise as a staff person or they've contributed as a customer, giving them say over how 
uh, business decisions are made or um, certain aspects of the business are run or even to the extent of um, profit distributions. That's what I think of when we when we talk about governance and giving the stakeholders actual ability to influence that. And I think to do that well would be based on contribution, whether that's based on sales in the case of a farmer or purchases in the case of a customer or hours or time or dollars earned as a staff um, person. So it's actually relative to the contribution that you put in. Excellent. Yeah. So governance is going to be a really interesting aspect for you going forward, certainly a bit out into the future, but that lines up exactly with a lot of the sort of blockchain technologies that are out there and thinking about how people essentially have voting rights in this system. You know, even though you're the entrepreneurs behind it, you're creating an ecosystem where people have a say when they participate. And, and that's amazing to see. I think we've had a really good session today. See a lot, of, like I said, we see a lot of interesting companies here and they have a lot of really interesting products. You're aggregating together amazing products, farm grown products, but really creating this future business platform that's available today and is growing tremendously in the upcoming year or two that is essentially creating this distributed market online that's, I think, very nicely described at the beginning, essentially an online farmer's market where transparency is most important, which brings trust with it. And uh, we're gonna come back to this, I think, in a few months and see where things are at and maybe dive a bit deeper on the technical side. That sounds fantastic, Chris. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun to talk about it. Sorry if we got carried away. It's it's very good. I, getting carried away in this case is, is excellent. Um, Tim, Louis, thank you very much for your time today. Um, best of luck entering 2022. I think it's gonna go really well for you. And let's come back to this again, uh, probably first half of next year. All that right. sounds great. Thanks so much. Take care. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcasts. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry.